Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Podcast lovers, how the fuck are you? Welcome to the show. Lions Lounge Lockdown is sponsored for the entire 2020-21 season by Match Scaffolding. Match Scaffolding is a company owned and operated by a Millwall fan and long-time season ticket holder. So, if you are after a little bit of scaffolding in your life, please don't hesitate to check out Match Scaffolding's contact details in the description of this audio podcast offering. Our guest today, I think you know who it is, it's a part two from last week, David Ford. Do you know what? I usually talk a bit and, and, and talk the interview up a little bit. And during the interview, I had clips and videos and photos. And I've not had to do any of that because this is just so fucking good that no words are needed. He didn't hold back. Absolutely no holds barred from Fordy. This is in my top three lockdown interviews ever. It's brilliant. Enjoy it. David Ford, Lions Lounge Lockdown, episode 32, part two. It's time. Yeah. You said at the start of the interview, you know, you had you had a you had a tick list, and you've you said now you've already you know hit two of them within two years of being at the club. Ireland call up must it must have been all your dreams coming true at once. Yeah, it was it was it was an insane. It was I can't describe you because it was such an intense time. It was such an intense yeah. time, and it's only when you look back on it now and it, it, you know you magnify it all into a story and you're trying to capture it all in this kind of instant over a over a webcam, but. Just the the intensity of it, the level of energy that's required to get to those spaces and to get to those, you know, the mentality, the as we said earlier on, that emotional roller coaster that oftentimes is not really looked on or looked upon on, on footballers, but it's starting to come into, you know, it's starting to come into awareness of of, of what footballers go through on on, on a day to day level and a week to week level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's it's part of our jobs and what we do and everything else, and we get well paid for it. But still, at the end of the day, there's still a human element to it. And oftentimes, I think in football nowadays, is you know we as 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 players, we often lose that humanistic side towards fans and that level of connection. I love the German game at the moment. I love the way they connect with their fans. I love the way their fans and, and the players go hand in hand. Yeah. And that was something I always tried to incorporate into when I played at the club when, when I when I met the fans or give them my time or when, whenever I see them and stuff like that. Like, you know, so it was always a, a key part of it. And I, I think it's a key part for, for the game going forward. You must have had um not at this point, but some lonely times in in, in goal at it then. You 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 hear more than most with the fans behind you. You must have yeah. some reactions of fans. Yeah, we had some absolute belters, like, you know, absolute, absolute, some some cracking moments and some cracking times. Like, you know, I remember when I first came to the club, and this is probably going back to the, the Swindon game, my first home game and stuff like that. Like, you know, fans coming down and just hurling abuse at me. And I was kind of still at that immature stage where I'd be turning around and hurling abuse back at them, like, you know. And then people are coming over to me saying, you can't be actually doing that. Like, you know, you can't actually do that. And then Tony Burns pulled me one day and he said, look, David, he says, he says, you just focus and concentrate in the game. He says, whether it's at Millwall or any other club, he says, um, this is vitally important. He says, as a goalkeeper, you cannot let anyone see 
that they have affected you in any way, shape or form. You just got to have, you know, blinker vision yeah. and just focus on that game. And um but yeah, we had we had some we had some amazing times. To wrap up this season, the 2010-11 season, I just picked out a couple of games. Um, well, we did the double over Crystal Palace that year. That's always a brilliant away day for Millwall fans. But um, we always seem to get a result against them. One nil at Lewis Park. I don't when the fans charged the gate, was it? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I think they let they let themselves in that day. Yeah. yeah. So um, that that was an interesting one. I think Mark Beaver scored a header that day. I was at one all. That was a different game. That was a different game. And then um, the home game, we beat them 3-0. Jason Punch and Hattrick, who was on loan at the time. I think he played seven games on loan for us. What a Hattrick that was. Oh, it was a disaster, though, because one, that we lost Jason Punch after that. Yeah. And um, he, was on, he was on two goals, and I'll never forget it. Um, I'll never forget Kenny at the time. Uh, when he scored the two goals, Kenny was like, right, get him off, get him off. Because he knew if this lad scores another goal, we I think they had agreed to do a deal with him to sign him full time. Oh, really? And he had yeah, yeah, yeah. They had it. They had it more or less. They had it more or less agreed that punch was signed, and he was a revelation for us. Like he'd take the ball, he'd run it down to the corner flag, he'd cut across, he'd come back over on the box, over across the D, over to the other corner flag, then he'd take it back over to the other corner flag, and no one could get the ball off him. Like it was like a five aside. He was brilliant, and uh, I used to call him Joker face. He just had such a big smile, such a a big playful smile and uh, what a what a player what a what a what a and he he was electric for us he really made a difference for us you know he he probably could have taken us on to that next level mm. and um, Kenny was shouting at Joe Gallon and Adrian the kit man get him off get the sub on get the sub on next thing Kenny turns around wallop third goal hat trick and Kenny's just like everyone else is going mental and Kenny you can just see Kenny going like this his price has just gone right shot through the roof. Yeah, and then he knew he was out. He was out of Millwall's league, and I think um, I don't know if he go back to Southampton or go back to Palace that time or whatever happened, but it wasn't to be like so. Yeah, and that was that Townsend game. I remember well, that at one point. Andros Townsend at one point as well as a loanee that same season. Yeah, Andros was the ultimate professional. You can see why he's gone on to had had the career, and he scored some fantastic goals as well. Like you know, he used to come in and he'd have this bowl of cold pasta, and that was his pre-match. He'd cook his all his own food and. He absolutely looked after himself. Yeah, yeah, he was, uh, he was a great lad. So the 2011-2012 season was our second back in the championship. Um, 16th we finished that season. Not as good, but that can happen second season, can't it? A little bit of second season syndrome. Yeah, I think the momentum and the adrenaline and the excitement, teams getting to know you, there's many, many, you know, there's many, many different things there that, that come into play in that situation. Like, you know, there's many um, variants, you know, and certainly for us, we, we, we found it difficult. I think Kenny tried to bring it on to another level. I think he made a couple of sign-ins. I think Darius Henderson came in, which when he played and was fit, he was, he was amazing. And then other times, at, at big times when we needed him, he picked up niggles and he picked up knocks, which, which kind of killed the momentum and killed the flow. Um, I think, was that, the year, was that the year we got to Wembley? Was that the semi-final year? No, that's the next season. But it's, it's funny what you keep saying. You, you're literally leading perfectly onto my notes and everything. So your, your memory yeah. of the club's unbelievable. So in there, I had players out, Harris, Morrison and Tony Craig. Players in, Shane Lowry, Darius Henderson. Um, so, yeah. He, I like Lowry's that. goal at Charlton, by the way. Do you remember that? I don't know, it was that that year, the following year, when he scored a worldie from about 50 yards. Left but anyhow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that, that was big as well, you know. Um, Neil leaving, Neil leaving the club. That was that was like you, you take into account, and oftentimes you know you look at you look at clubs where they get rid of key figures like that. You know the void and the the gap they leave. Like you know they mightn't be necessarily doing it on the pitch, but what they do in terms of team spirit and team bond, and in terms of that that gel and bond and everyone together is 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 invaluable, really. Yeah, Darius Henderson. You want to have a row of him? Would you meet him down a dark alley? Oh yeah, Hendo was a Hendo was a big guy, like you know. Hendo, like was a, Hendo was Hendo was a big guy. I'll never forget. Um, I'll never forget it. Uh, we played. Um, we played Leicester. I haven't actually told many people this story, and we played Leicester. And uh, this story is just coming to me now. And we're up at the Walker Stadium, and Casper Schmeichel's in goals, and Casper Schmeichel kicks it like an absolute mule, like you know. He used to smash balls all over the park, like you know. So I'm there doing me warm up with Tony Burns. And who was the sub keeper at the time? 
Um, I can't remember who was the subkeeper at the time. So we're warming up and, you know, next thing these balls start coming in like incoming missiles, like they were like bouncing beside us and just missing us. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm trying to do me warm up here. This is quite disrespectful. So I was like, hang on a second. Like this, this is, this isn't like etiquette. Like, you know, this isn't goalkeeping etiquette. You know, this is, this isn't being part of the union here. Like, you know, <laughs> but Bernsey's like, forget about it. Just focus on the game. And I was like, no, he's acting the prick. Right. <laughs> so Bernsey's like, nah, forget about it. Forget about it. I said, nah, I'm not. So I caught one ball. Another ball just misses my head. It's come about 95 yards down the far end of the pitch. So I take off running past Bernsey, push him out of the way, and I take up jogging towards the halfway line. So Casper sees me. And we've, you know, we had a, we had a good relationship, working relationship, Casper. So he sees me and he thinks I'm coming up to say hello to him. So he starts jogging over towards me like that. And he goes, how are you 40 whatever? How are you doing like that? And I says, pull that stunt again. And I'm going to rip your head off. I said, you're taking the piss now, right? so he goes he's stunned and then the goalkeeping coach comes over I think Mike what's his name Mike he's still there and he says something whatever Burnsy comes in and he says yeah you're fucking out of order what you're doing you're taking the piss right so we're all going we're going right we're going to have it like you know so we go down go the warm but that got me going for the game I was like right here we go so I come in for the warm up and I'm getting my kit on and I'm my rate at this stage and I'm giving this absolute speech and I'm like right lads we have these I said that first ball into the box I said, someone just go in and smash Casper Schmeichel. Someone get their head in it. First, what do we get? We get a corner. First ball in. Casper Schmeichel goes for it. Endo comes in. Absolutely <laughs> buries him into the net. I'm like this. Come on. Happy days. Oh, my Christmas has come at once. I think we won 3-0, like, you know. Brilliant. And when he was, when he was on, when he was, um, when he was on song, when he was, when he was fit and playing and when he was a handful like that, he was, he was top class, yeah. <laughs> I bet Casper yeah. didn't do that the following week at the Walker, the Walker Stadium. The old long kick. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've spoke to Casper since, but anyhow, <laughs> it was worth it for that. Another player, I said, uh, King Kenny was was renowned for getting loans from from Premier League clubs. We said Andros Townsend um, and uh, Jason Punchin, sorry, but of course this was a season that Harry Kane comes to the club. Would yeah, you like Harry Kane at Millwall. I remembered Harry being just absolutely a sports billy, like absolutely brilliant whatever he did. Like he'd be like, yeah, I play golf or whatever. He's like, yeah, I shot 25 under. I was like, <laughs> you should be in the masters lad. You know what I mean? You're in the wrong sport. He was like, yeah, I'm just after having a game of snooker the day before. How'd you go on? Yeah, I had about four, one, four sevens. Do you know what I mean? I just hitting one eighties there for fun of me sleep. Like that's the type of guy he actually was. And when he came in like that, he was just, just learning his trade, but you could just tell there was something that clicked with him and he just really enjoyed his time. He just loved, he loved being, being at Millwall. Mm. And all I remember is the power that man actually had at that age was, was phenomenal. I remember it actually reminded me when I was at Cardiff and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank came to retire at Cardiff in his last few seasons and the power he had. And I was only thinking, geez, imagine the power he had when, when, when he was in his prime. And Harry had that. Harry had that power where as a keeper, you'd be making saves and your elbows would be getting hyperextended. You'd be feeling the power in your palms and you're going, Jesus, this lad's got definitely something here. And, and the way he finished with absolute pace and power was, was, was phenomenal. It would be past you before you'd even, you'd even see it. Like, so mm. he always had that gift. And, um, and even, what's his name, came that had to retire as well with the brain concussion from Spurs. Oh, Ryan Mason. Ryan Mason and Ryan Ryan was a, a fantastic type of player as well. But I think it was it was a great experience for him to experience Millwall and, and the type of club what it actually is. But I definitely feel Millwall would have stood to to Harry and it would be it'd be interesting to see what his what his thoughts are now. Well these folks were oh yeah on Millwall made made at Millwall apparently. That's what a lot of our fans like to say. Yeah. You only um you played thirty appearances that season. You had a couple of spells out of the team. Was that due to injuries or yeah, that was due to um, we we came we came up and like what I said like that with, with Kenny and stuff had a great relationship with Kenny, and we had a bit of um, uh, I suppose a bit of a blow up after one of the games against Peterborough, and then our relationship never really kind of recovered after that. Um, then I got taken out of the team for a couple of games, and I got myself back in again. But it really seemed to that that loss of relationship with Kenny really seemed to struggle with my own, my own esteem and my own confidence. 
Oh, and that really affected me big time because I felt then that Kenny didn't kind of have my back. And there was a serious kind of breakdown in, in our relationship in that sense, even though we were kind of getting on, but it was never the same. It was never of, you know, I brought David in and, you know, he always used to say apparently to Tony Burns that if I went anywhere, the first person I bring with me is David Ford. Yeah. And Kenny told me that. And then all of a sudden that, that wasn't there anymore. So that was quite a difficult time for me um, at, at Millwall. And like that as well, I was just like that. You, you go through these spells as, as a footballer, you know, your confidence gets hit. And there was there was periods and times and games where, you know, I, I let myself down, I let the team down. And, you know, Kenny was, you know, he was right at the time to, to take me out and to bring Mike Taylor in. Yeah. And the beauty, the beauty of that at the time was we were fighting for, for, it taught me a lot about myself in that situation because really it was about, I wanted to stay, um, you know, I could have thrown my prams out. I could have, you know, said, right, I want to leave and I want to go, but it was never really about that. Yeah. And for me, it taught me a lot about my own patience and my own tolerance levels that I said, you know, I think they thought that I was going to, to, to leave. And, and I said, no, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm here. This is, this is my club. This is where I met and this is where I want to be. And I'll, I'll, I'll make it back. So whoever came in, I supported them. You know, Mike Taylor came in and he was fantastic from my career. He, he evolved my career even more so. And just to watch him play and to train with the guy and the, those conversations we used to have during during training and sessions and stuff like that that when I did get back in I did get my chance um I was I was ready for it and and that's the thing I think a lot of the times footballers don't deal with that level of disappointment that yeah. when they're taken out of the pitch and taken out of the game they're still caught in the disappointment of it where when they do get the opportunity they're still caught in the frustration and the anger and the 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 irritation of, of what's happened before so I had a quick switch in that and I thought right I'm I'm, I'm ready to rock here I'm ready to get back into to be in Millwall's number one again, you know? Right, so honestly, it's, it's like you could have written my notes. I've got Mike Taylor, veteran, and then I, the question I've written down was, what's it like to train with keepers? Because, I mean, I played a very low level of non-league as a goalkeeper, but you always want that shirt. And I couldn't personally be friends with a person. I'd be respectful, I'd be trained with them. But would you want to get too close to another goalkeeper? Because he's got the only shirt available at the club. Yeah, I just um, I'm I'm the the job I'm doing now, and I suppose we might get onto that later on around around coaching, mentoring, and, and personal development, and, and the psychology and emotional well-being of it, and, and building relationships, and building the relationship with yourself, and building the relationship with others and teammates is something that I actually do now, and something that taught me a lot about these types of behaviours and interactions, and how we're actually viewing them, and how we're actually looking at them from the team level. And it's all very egocentrical. It's all very based around the individual and their 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 place and position within the team where it doesn't really come into the, the, the consciousness or the psyche of understanding the team and the club and that organisation that if we get this right, if I get myself right, we get the team right and we get the club right. And then I, we're operating from a whole different space. Cool. And I was only talking to one of my young, I worked with a young goalkeeper, a young professional goalkeeper, and he was talking about that. And it was actually funny. It's uncanny you talk about that now. And um, I was telling him about Mike Taylor and, and our relationship because what I did was I figured out that I can learn from this man. What can I learn from him? He's been there. He's been Northern Ireland's number one goalkeeper. He's been, you know, Fulham. He's been to Burmese, He's been in the Premier League. Top, top class keeper. What can I learn from him? Plus as well, he was an absolute gentleman. He was an absolute, and I still speak to Mike today. That's a, good, um, that's a great attitude. You know, don't hate on him. Just, just think what you can learn from him and take forward. 100% because I knew that eventually it'd get my turn. And how would I want him to respond to me? How would I, if I support him unconditionally, if I give him my absolute everything, that I serve right, that I give him everything, that when it comes my turn, I'd like them to continue the same. And that if we're as adults, you know, oftentimes we grow up as footballers very immature and we're still boys and that's a boy mentality. We're not being men in those situations. And when we adopt it and be a man in the situation, now all of a sudden we have a different level of maturity running through the team and how we operate and how we interact with each other. Because then we have a whole different um, a whole different team dynamic going on. And like that between keepers, it's a different different type of dynamic than we have going on between between each other. Because we know that we we both want to play, but that choice is often taken out of our hands. It's not something we choose, it's it's the managers or you know, um, external sources. So why why be bitter or hate someone that's in, in the same position as you? It's because it's out of your hands. 
Yeah, spot That's what we might learn from playing the goals. Mm, absolutely spot on. So let's move on to the 2012-13 season. It's a not very good one league-wise, but we'll always be remembered for the FA Cup run, of course. Two notable uh, transfers in. Great centre-half, Perinis. Big Mark Beavers and Danny Shitu. Big Beavers, the baby giraffe. Yeah. Um, yeah. We used to call him the baby, baby giraffe. And I, I have so much time for Mark Beavers because Mark Beavers probably said something so poignant to me in the change room that made so much sense to me that I was battling with my own demons within my own head. And um, we were playing a game. This is probably, we played a couple of seasons or whatever, and this is probably coming to my end of my career. I know I'm going on a bit here. And it was 2017, I think, or 2016. And uh, Neil had just taken over as manager and I'd come out with a team and stuff like that. And it was one of Neil's first kind of games in, involved and stuff. And I think we had a bad result at home midweek. And we came in after the game and uh, there wasn't really a lot said. And I was sat there and I was thinking, right, you know, I, I could play this two ways, pretty much like what we were saying. I could be bitter and angry and resentful and absolutely, you know, put Neil in a precarious position or I can look after the team and look after everybody else and look after the club and that's always the place I came from. So that's the, the approach I took. Mm. And I said certain things about certain individuals and certain, certain team dynamics and stuff. And um, afterwards, I, uh, I said to myself, I went into the shower and I came out afterwards and I had a, a towel around me and I was sitting on the bench. And I wasn't playing. I was actually a sub at the stage. And I just thought, Jesus, it's 40. I said, why don't you just keep your mouth shut? Why don't you just put your hand, put your glove in your mouth for once and keep your mouth shut? Like, you know. Have you said this and, in the changing room? Yeah, this in the changing room after the game. So Mark Beavers came out of the shower afterwards and he just turned around and he looked at me and he could tell that I had like the towel over my head and I was going through it. And I was just thinking to myself, why did I bother even saying anything? And he turned around to me and he says, he said, that's why we love you, 40. I looked up and I went, Jesus. I says, why is that, Mark? He says, you always say what we're all thinking. And I thought, <laughs> wow, that's made so much sense to me for years. Yeah. Because I'd go into change rooms, I'd go into those environments and I'd feel and I'd sense different things. And I'd always say things and I'd always question myself. And as a leader, you go into those places and you always question, you always doubt that. Did you say the right thing or do the right thing? But in that moment, and if you're listening to this, Mark, it's, it's, you know, it was one of the biggest things. And oftentimes we don't realize the influence of what one person can actually say to us. Mm. And that made so much sense to me. That was amazing. That actually changed my mindset in a, in a, in a lot of things. So like that, it was, it was a, a big, big moment. From an outsider looking in as well, from my perspective, a fan of, of the club, he was very vocal on the pitch. He was very vocal in, in, in good situations, in positive situations. So you're not going to step away from that when, when something negative needs to be said. Yeah, totally, totally. It was just, it was just something that I, I, I felt compelled to say at times. And oftentimes I got it wrong. You know, you don't always, you don't always get it right and stuff like, you know. But there's certain times and certain situations where... You know, you look at, right, is this is this going to benefit me or is it going to benefit the team? Mm. And I was always, um, you know, it was it was always about the team for me. It was always about being being the team and it was always about Millwall and being part of that. And um, like in those situations, as I said, you know, things get said and sometimes they need to be said. And that's 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 I think to last a period and last a time at the club is you gotta speak your truth. Mm. You got to be able to express that in 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 a way that you know that you're not ultimately trying to hurt anyone, but ultimately you have to not hurt yourself in that because there's times where you come away from situations where you might necessarily say something and you beat yourself up over it and you'd say I should have actually said something there I could have actually made a difference. So mm. um, that was just part of my makeup and part of the job and the role that I had at Millwall, and um, I just like lived for it. I loved it. Mm. Well, something definitely switched as well. So you, you, was, uh, you was understudy at points to make Taylor, but in the 2012-13 season, you dislodge him after five or six games and you get, you, you get your, uh, your number one slot back. Was, was things resolved between you and Kenny or just you just trained so hard and determined to prove him wrong so much he couldn't leave you yeah, out? I, I think so. I think so. I think he was surprised by my reaction. You know, I think over the years where, where a lot of players spit their dummy out and they think, right, it's time to leave, time to move on. I was so resilient. I was the fact of I'm actually going here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying and I'm going to win my shirt back. And, you know, it was such a hard thing to do because I had to adopt a new attitude going in every morning. Like what you said, it was so hard to get up every morning and go in and actually realise, 
you know, that's 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 my shirt. I'm I'm the number one and I don't actually have it anymore. But yet on the same hand, I had to bite battle those demons within myself to actually turn around and say, Well, look, I have to support Mike in this, I have to support the team, I support the club, I have to take myself out of the situation. And then when the chance arrives, so you have to have serious levels of patience and serious levels of um determination that you can constantly when those feelings and those emotions kind of come up that you can actually handle them. And then when the chance came, I was like, right, I'm in the right place for this now. It's just mm. giving me a serious hunger. I want I want my shirt back. And like what I said, something clicked in in, in, in my game and my performance. Mike Taylor had said some things to me that, you know, like what I said, the influence of what one person can say to us. And why he said to me in terms of the goalkeepers and the standard and the people that he said, you know, he turned on to me one day and he says, he said, the only person I've ever seen with feet work like you, he said, is, is Ben Foster. And the level of goalkeeper he was comparing comparing me to was was phenomenal, mm-hmm. and I just I just grew I just magnified I just thought wow I feel I feel ten ten feet tall here and and it started to show in my game I started to get that freedom in my game in terms of my distribution and working with Kevin Pressman and and, and Mike on, on those levels mm-hmm. and I just started to realise that wow I've my my potential is only really starting to to come now in in my late thirty in my early thirties. Early phase. Yeah, you said, you know, it's, it's an interesting one. You said you struggled with it mentally and always sympathise with footballers because if I'm doing a normal nine to five, I go home at the end of that day, I switch off from work. No one else really knows what's going on there other than the fellow colleagues. As a footballer, you know, you can't ever really get away from it, can you? You know, it's on TV, you've got fans having opinions on their online forums or on social media. So, and you know, their opinions at times won't be right about the situation. It's like what's actually going on. It's very hard to step away from it, isn't it, and switch off, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And uh, the modern-day footballer, is, as you said, it's more difficult now, isn't it? You have websites, you have Twitter, there's so much access into your space and into your environment that mm. trying to create those barriers and trying to create those boundaries and healthy boundaries is, is very, very difficult. Yeah. And everyone's just waiting to have a, a little chip at you or people are waiting to, to applaud you. And like all footballers, People love the adulation and like that as well. The adulation is great, but can you actually handle the fact of, of the other hand and the other side of the coin that when it's not going so well? Yeah. So understanding that, why why involve yourself in that that type of situation and that type of environment? But that 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 comes with age and that comes with maturity. But like that, I I you know like what I said, I got my physical maturity into a great place. I my mentally I used to think, is it do I actually have a mental problem? and uh, struggled with my mentality um, and I don't think I did and I've, I've looked long and hard at this and this is something you know I'm, I'm writing currently in, in my own book at the moment is around my mental strength and my mental resilience because to if I struggled mentally how could I get up every morning how could I go into that type of environment a ruthless environment of a football pitch and a football training ground and a football stadium and cross that white line every week so if I had mental issues or mental problems and a mentality thing, that wouldn't have been the case. And where I actually struggled was my mental, my emotional body and my emotional maturity. That's what I struggled with. It was the fluctuations of, of dealing with that roller coaster, that sense of up and down, that sense of extreme highs and extreme lows falling off the cliff face. That's where I really struggled and having that lack of um, emotional literacy or emotional ability to express how I really, really felt. Yeah. And, you know, people talk about that being, you know, or, or I've, I'm a firm believer that our greatest strength is in uh, is inner vulnerability and being able to express that. But we all grow up thinking, oh, well, you know, boys don't cry and, you know, don't be talking about the softness and the emotions. Yeah. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that can relate to that on this phone call. So for me, that's that's really where I started to understand what football has taught me was so more, it was a journey about myself and my own discovery about where I am and where I'm going towards. And, you know, to, to experience that on, 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 in such an environment like Millwall has been, I can't describe to you the, the impact that it's had on, on, on my life has been astronomical. Mm. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible Irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All footballers, it's definitely a high-pressure job, but as a goalkeeper, you know, you let one free round, it's in, mate. It's, it's, it must be more high-intensity than any other position, I would, I would have thought. Oh yeah, it's it's there's there's nothing worse as you said. No matter what level, like where the one crawls through your legs yeah. or little, and they they all always the hardest ones was the like the slow to medium balls. Do you know what I mean? A little slow ball coming at you, and you're like, oh my god, what's this like? You know, and to think about pace, you could deal with it. And probably one of the lowest points I I probably had at Millwall, and one of the lowest points I had at at, at the at the Den was the um, Oxford Cup, the what you call it, the Pain Trophy. Yeah. We played Oxford United in the the pain trophy live on Sky. And what I can only describe as when the ball got to the wing, uh, when he got got wide of the goal and he hit, the ball's coming at me. And I don't know what happened that day, but the ball just, it just went. I don't know where it went. I could not see it anymore. It just blacked out, right? And next thing I look, I'm, I'm like, it's actually gone in and went in under me. Like what you said, in through me legs. And I just thought, oh my God, did that just, did that just happen? You know, and yeah. I probably uh, two minutes before that, I probably went one of the best saves I've ever made at Millwall. I made a save onto the crossbar that was barely seen. I just made a flick onto the crossbar, bounced down and came out. And then you're just thinking you make a save like that one minute, and then all of a sudden you let one through your legs. <laughs> and you know, and it was probably the it was probably the uh, the moment that that sealed my my fortunes at Millwall. Before we get onto that, let's talk about some more good times. Let's talk about the Cup Run of 2012-13, of course reaching the FA Cup semi-final. Talk about some games along the way. Aston Villa at home, 2-1, round four. Yeah, that's, that, that's like, that goes back. That's very similar to the, the Huddersfield game that night. Full house atmosphere, um, full of superstars. Shea Given was up the other end, the Irish counterpart. Um, they had a serious, serious team. And um, I think we were practising. We were That goal was set up as well. We were practising um, corners. And I think Lehigh was marking Danny Shitu when we thought, right, all we have to do is vacate the area, just let Big Dan just run up to it and absolutely chew him up. And lo and behold, great delivery. And Danny just ran onto it and absolutely powered it home. Like how that man could head a ball was phenomenal. Like, you know, he could head a ball 50, 60 yards, not a problem. He was yeah. a man, man, uh, a man mountain and a great guy. Such a great, so like that as well. Talk about a gentleman off the pitch. Like he was such such a gentleman, but like that he'd be bench pressing 140 kilos. Like you're just thinking, that's one lad I would not like a slap off. Like you know, he almost didn't look like he was built like a footballer, did he? He was almost he was top heavy. He was so so muscly. You'd thought if you might want to scale it down a bit, you'd probably be a little bit more nimble and stuff on the pitch. No joking. I I seen I seen I seen about three masseuses massaging one of his quads one day. <laughs> And um, he uh, he he was getting a massage one day, and I was just looking at his quad, and I was thinking, "That is, I'm a big man." And I was thinking, I was look, I was like on the other bed, like putting my two quads together, like this, going, "Yeah, that's definitely the same size of one of his." You know, he was a, he was a big big man, like you know, and uh, he was he was great for Millwall as well. He was yeah. he was fantastic captain. He had, I think he got Player of the Year as well. And like that, it was a, that was the year he got player of the year, wasn't it? The, the, the yeah. cup run, was it? Just like just have the characters like you and him and it, you know Jimmy Abdul around it. It's just put people that fit the criteria of Mill perfectly, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. 
hundred percent. And uh, like what we said, it's it's important to have those type of people to bring the culture of the club through and to bring it through what you know what what what's expected. You know, sometimes you have to have that. You have to understand what what the fans want, what what the club want, what the culture is about, and stuff. And the only way they can actually find out that that is true experience and who is the best experience, who has that knowledge is, is the players that have gone, gone before. And mm. it's, it's like, it just gets passed down through, it's like a legacy that gets passed down through, through the players, you know, and it keeps, it keeps filtering on down through. And as you said, the legacy of those types of players from, from, from the players of, of yesteryear that comes right through. So yeah, we just try to embody that and embrace it as much as we can. And then Big Dan does the business again, Blackburn away, quarterfinal replay. Another yeah. header. Another header. Another absolute, absolute belter. I think it was a wet night up there. And we it was a replay, wasn't it? Because yeah. we drew, it was a dab replay on a Sunday at the Den. And we got, up, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday night again. We got up there and we beat them. And they were, they were disgusted because they were full sure they were going to, they're going to beat us. And like that, we end up getting, getting to, getting to a semi-final of, of the FA Cup. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we had a shed load of in- injuries. And I definitely believe that if we didn't have so many injuries and a shed load of standing positions, we would have definitely challenged Wigan that day. And we would have given them a far better game than because we were we were doing quite well in the FA Cup. I definitely think we would have given them a good good run for their money at least, at the very least. And then they go on to win the FA Cup, which is insane against Man City. Well, uh, it was a bit, no, of a, well, we, was a bit of a non-event that day, really. I think we hit the, I think Chris Taylor hit a crossing when they hit the bar. But other than that. You had a very busy afternoon. You played well with it, though. I remember you making a, a great save from a yeah. long-range left foot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a very wet, very wild, windy day. And like that, we, we never really threw a punch. I think we had, um, I think Sean St. Ledger was playing the centre midfield, like, you know. So that summed, that summed up that summed up our day. But actually, that reminds me, that brings you on to the next story, <laughs> is after that game, we play um, last game of the season. We stay up last game of the season, don't we? to Derby we played Derby away and they beat us so wow. that means more or less we're actually down so thankfully lo and behold our neighbours the good old Palace they actually win they come back to beat Peterborough 3-2 to get into the playoffs um, and then that means Peterborough go down and we stayed safe after getting beat so we got to the FA Cup semi-final we managed to stay up in the last game of the season thanks to Palace and uh, we're going over to the fans at Pride Park and Sean St. Ledger's walking over and he these pink, pink Nikes, uh, pink Nike boots, you know, and, um, and he takes them off and he launches them into the crowd, right? And the boys are throwing gloves. Two minutes later, we're walking back and the boots come back. Yes, <laughs> someone's launched them back. I've got some pictures that want your boots. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I was thinking someone's launched his boots into the fans and was thinking, yeah, and someone's just gone, nah, you can have them back. So you're all right, mate. Oh, yeah, my exactly, God. Yeah, so. Did the players get on? Did you get on him for that as, as players or did that not get mentioned? Yeah, I, like if, like next time I see him, I'll be saying it to him straight up. I'd be like, lad, how's them pink boots? Like, you know? Yeah, he was, he was baffled by it. He didn't know what to do. He, he was just like, he was stunned by it, like, you know? Brilliant. So, Brilliant. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, so that, that wraps up the 2012-13 season. Then, of course, Kenny Jackett leaves the club. Um, before I interviewed you today, I was going to think, oh, well, that's going to be a bad thing for you. Obviously, he brought you to the club. But as you were saying, by this point, your your relationship was strained. So what was your thoughts on, on Kenny leaving the club? Yeah, it was actually good because we went to the, the player this season due um, in the May. And I'm trying to think who got player of the year that year. I can't remember. And um, we were at the do or whatever. And I remember everyone was clapping, everyone was standing up. And I was just looking over at Kenny who was sat beside John Burleson. And I just noticed, I just said, you know, there's something, there's something not right here. There's no something not right. I think, I think Kenny had left the building, you know, I think emotionally, physically he was there, but I think emotionally, mentally he was, he'd bounced like, you know, and you could definitely feel that. So when the announcement was made, I was like, I wasn't. I wasn't so shocked because by the time the end of the season started to come in, you could feel that Kenny was kind of like, right, have I taken this ship as 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 far as I can? And he's, yeah. he did a he did a he did a great job, like you know, in, in terms of where the club could have been in League Two to, you know, consolidating the club in in, in the Championship. Mm. Steve Lomas comes in. 
as manager. What are your thoughts on that? How was he for you as a manager? Well, I knew Steve. I knew Steve well from when I was at West Ham, and as a captain, he was he was a great man. He was a great captain mm. and a great leader on the pitch. And I know he'd done well at St Johnston. I always knew that was going to be really difficult, especially as a former West Ham captain and as a former West Ham man to come in and for the fans to to win them on side. And like that, it was it was going to go one or two ways. It was going to go drastically wrong, or it would have went incredibly well. Where like that, I think the Millwall fans, as you said, if you can come in and prove that you've got the club's best heart and you've got the soul, the soul of the club, um, you've got the whole intention of the club and the culture of the club and that you can turn it around and, and give them your all. That's all they want to see at the end of the day. If you can give Millwall 100%, that's minimum requirement. Um, and not saying that he didn't do that, but I definitely think he, he found it difficult in terms of I think he found it difficult in terms of some of the sign-ins he brought into the club and they weren't specifically, as we said, Millwall types and understanding the, the, the club and the nature of, of what it takes to be successful at the club. I think that was probably the, the biggest difficulty is that he tried to make it something that it's not and tried to sign players on, on name and calibre mm. more so than, you know, more so than, uh, you know, a fit. Exactly. Um you still got some good results, though. Big Charlton and Leeds, as we say, always is a given, but there's some very heavy defeats. 4-0 Birmingham, 5-2 Bournemouth, a 5-1 defeat at home to Derby. As a, as a player, especially as a goalkeeper, I say Kenny Jackett always had the fans on board. Did you start for the first time to maybe see a different side of the fans? Um, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I, I, I think the biggest thing with the fans was they were probably more disappointed with... Um, I, I, th I think the biggest thing I think Millwall fans don't mind losing it's how we actually lose yeah, that's the it. thing you know like one and I, I speak to this all the time like I do I do some like corporate events and doing speaking events and stuff like that like and people ask me what was it like in Millwall and I say I, I can tell you a story and I shared this story with them many times we're playing Birmingham and you probably remember the night in Big Zigic was playing. He was on about 60 grand a week playing the championship at the time. And we got reduced down to, was it eight or nine men? I think it might have been eight men. We might have three sent off. Yeah. And we beat 6-1. And those eight, seven or eight players or nine players, whatever is left on the pitch, gave it absolutely everything. We gave it 100% on that. We didn't. We ran every ball, chased every ball. We got, we got dicked. We got pumped. But I've never come off to a standing ovation and I've never seen in all my time in football a team come off to a standing ovation at 6-1 <laughs> I swear to God it was unbelievable I couldn't, couldn't believe it and the fans clapped because they knew that we'd given it all and due to unfortunate circumstances of the referee's decisions or a bit of stupidity with a sending off or whatever it was but we we, we, we gave it our best and I think as, as that sums it up for me at Millwall is that if you can give it 100% if you can give it absolutely everything you know they they'll 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 take that. It won't it won't be nice, but it's they can they they can at least accept that look. You know, mm, yeah, spot on, mate. Lomas gets sacked. Ian Holloway comes in. Um, but to people with Byron Webster on, Aidan O'Brien on, Jimmy Abdi on, all 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 said good things about Holloway. Yeah, I to be honest, I love Dolly. I love Dolly, and I think for me, he absolutely. Um, expanded my mind in, in football and in terms I was probably in the in the prime of my career and he, he seen something in me that not many keepers or not many coaches had, had seen and like that he he'd brought in a way of playing football that totally transformed how I was perceived and how I perceived myself as, 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 a, as a goalkeeper in terms of my distribution, in terms of finding fullbacks, in terms of finding, you know, um, you know, uh, passes and ways out and to set up opposition or set up counter-attacks and he just totally changed my 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 ability to to play the game and gave me a whole different perception of how the game is actually played and it was very enjoyable it was very enjoyable when when things were going really well and then we got um we got a bit complacent and we started to have some some poor results mm. and then within that a bit of bit of an incomplacency started to kick in and we started to struggle after that. Like, you know, we really started to struggle, which was which was unfortunate. But in terms of um, in terms of different ways of playing, different formations, in terms of learning as a footballer, there was there was huge, huge learning in that. 
because mm. Ollie's greatest thing was his enthusiasm. And oftentimes his enthusiasm spilled over and it was very infectious. But oftentimes you just wanted a, a manager to come in and actually be firm and resolute and actually, you know, it's it's sometimes like what we said, you gotta bring that balance in. Sometimes yeah. you gotta hit you gotta be direct. You gotta be direct in your message and hit someone between the eyes. And that's doing someone a favor as well. And sometimes you gotta be indirect and you gotta put your arm around them and doing them all that, like you know. So I definitely feel that was that was a, a, a big part in, in the way Ollie Ollie did his his management, but who am I to say, but he um he's he's had a, an amazing career. He's done, yeah. you know, getting getting palace up and everything else. And I really thought we're we're onto a winner. To keep us up that year was was a gift yeah. in itself, to be honest, because we played some fantastic football. So you kept us up. That was leading me on to my next question. The 2014-15 season, obviously, very disappointing one. He's in relegation. Was you surprised he got as long as he did in the second season? I mean, Lomas didn't get nowhere near as long. He saw out the previous season. He got, um, I believe, Neil Harris didn't take over until around March. Yeah, it was. Um, I think we'd started that season very well again. I think we were up around the playoffs. Mm. And I had gone away with an international. Um, I had gone away with Ireland. Um, around October, November. And I remember we were in a good place as a team and I think Ollie had gone away as well and um, left somebody else in charge. And I remember just coming back into the change room, I remember coming back and something fundamentally had shifted, something during that period, something had happened within the group or within the team that had changed the the vibration of the team and the the energy of the group and stuff like that. Like, and we never seemed to recover after that. Whatever actually happened, I don't know. Um, I wasn't actually there, and I remember that being being very very a standout time in, in in my own mind. And then we struggled like that. We struggled with a lot of games, and I think Ollie then started making some rash decisions, you know, with signings and even formations and and trying to you know recapture two or three nil downs and you know going five up top and one at the back and really going for it like you know as if we were Barcelona like you know <laughs> and uh, so he, he did try and some of them paid off sometimes when we got our results but because we expended so much energy trying to get those results we, we struggled in, in the following games and stuff so mm. yeah it was um, it was it was certainly it was it was very strange considering where that could have actually been and where we could actually went to with that Um and then, like that, Neil had come in, and uh, as you said, to, to steady the ship after after being relegated. But we we should never have been we should never have been relegated that year. I think what what cost us dearly that year was a goal scorer. We had, um, and it still amazes me. So I still scratch my head with this. I had sixteen clean sheets that year in the championship after a relegation team, <laughs> and that's unheard of. Yeah, you know, sixteen clean sheets, you could be getting promoted. So to keep sixteen clean sheets and get relegated was a was a hard pill to swallow. Um, and I think our highest goal scorer that year had five goals and stuff. So mm. that's really where I think a, a big breakdown came down in the side where we were getting creating loads and loads of chances and we were creating some amount of chances per game yeah. and we weren't capitalising on them. I think obviously Lee Gregory joined the club at that point, but that's before he sort of really got into the, to the swing of things. As I said, it was a disappointing season, 2014-15, relegated at the FA Cup in the third round. But a personal highlight for me, and one the fans still talk about, especially after I posted the photo the other day, of you landed a straight right on um on a Bradford player's jaw <laughs> in the FA Cup, knocked out. Yeah, a, yeah, it was a terrific uh, night, by the way, at, at Valley Parade. Yeah, and I think I think that was the kind of the the wheels started to kind of come off within the group as well around that time, and there was a lot of a lot of frustration within the group and stuff, and then all of a sudden we found ourselves one, two, three down at the Valley Parade, never really got going. And then there was a melee on the side of the pitch. I think Tony tried to get a ball or whatever. And then a few people, there was a scuff. And I just came running in to break it up. And I think John Stead was there. And, and unfortunately for John Stead, as I've come in and I've gone to grab his shirt, I just brushed his chin ever so gently <laughs> with the shirt. But no, I'm going to do it at this point. The, the photo is going to be put on the screen, so... <laughs> yeah exactly yeah 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 so the photo does me no justice but um yeah so that's 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 what happens yeah we had a bit of a bit of a handbags and stuff like that like you know but yeah as you said as you said you wake up in the press the next morning and it's like a keeper throws a right hook and you're thinking jesus that's a bit hardcore that's a bit rough but there was a so it was something and it was nothing do you know yeah. what i mean so, a personal highlight of mine for the season, that one. But um, it ends yeah. in relegation. Neil Harris takes over, as we said. What was that like for you to have an ex-teammate now be your gaffer? 
Was that a difficult transition? Um, it, it, it wasn't really because I had a conversation with Neil and I said, look, I understand, you know, we've been, we were, we were, you know, mates on and off the pitch. And I understand you have a difficult job to do and you'll have decisions to make that sometimes I won't be best pleased with or there's going to be things I'm going to do you won't be best pleased with. But look, I said, I support you. I got your back and, and whatever you, you have to do, you got to do. Mm. So when when Neil came in, there was um, there was rumours of me, um, you know, going to other clubs and clubs coming in and the potential of me leaving and stuff like that. There was a level in it where I did get distracted probably for the first time when I first came to the club where I was thinking right now things have changed where I'm number one with Ireland. We're going to, we're fighting to get to the Euros. I need to be playing football. I've had phone calls from, from the Irish management team. There's a bit of pressure coming on there and I'm thinking, right, I need to be playing in the championship or mm -hmm. do I stay and, you know, play with Millwall and get myself back, get back up to, get back up to, um, get back up to the levels where we were actually at. Like, and and the disappointing thing that came in for me really was like that after keeping 16 clean sheets um the relegation really really affected me i lost my position with ireland probably just a few months before that um unfairly which i thought because my form even though we were being in in we we're having a tough time with with um relegation my form was my my performance levels were still extremely high so that was that was very very frustrating. So like that, my confidence just took was just probably um, at its lowest at the time and stuff. So mm -hmm. then when I came back and you know there was just a lot of things really that weren't really kind of adding up for me at that time. You know, mm -hmm. so um, young Jordan came in and did did fantastically well. And like that as well, where he'd come in and I thought right, he's he's going to play. He's going to play Jordan and I think Neil had to make a choice as well because Neil had to make a statement as well. You know, he had to make a statement to the team, to the fans. And I I certainly felt I was a bit of a sacrificial lamb. Yeah, and well. uh, who better to make a statement than, than one of your um, key players? So yeah. that was that was unfortunate. That was disappointing. But that's football. You know, I don't hold that against Neil. He was doing his job. I understand that he is his family and his wife and family and everyone else to look after. Mm. And look, you can look back at it now and say it was it was the right decision. But for me, um, it was it was it was Jordan Archer. Sorry, it's never it's never the right decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, well, it, it's funny because I remember I never forget the 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 header off the line. Like that was that Mate, was. Amazing. He going down on that. I was standing on the bench. And I was thinking, I was looking at Mark Beavers going, what have you just done there, by the way? What have you done? What have you done? And then he heads it. And I was thinking, why don't you just catch it? And then he was like, do you know what I mean? I was like, if you just catch that, you're thinking, you're thinking that couldn't be classed as a pass back. That could, do you know what I mean? He's just had a shot and goal. But I, I, I can understand his thinking in that situation was amazing to head that over the bar. And the acrobatics and everything else involved was, was, was brilliant. Yeah. You said that... Um you felt he was a little bit of a sacrificial lamb. And it, it was a shame because I saw for the next three years, Jordan Archer basically ruined every, every one of my weekends. But um, a younger generation were coming through at that time. Aidan O'Brien, Ben Thompson, Marlon Romeo. So you can, you can understand what Harris did. He was trying to re, sort of rebuild a younger side, I suppose. Yeah, totally. Fresh ideas, spicing it up. I'm sure he had his directions as well from, from, from above in terms of budgets, in terms of everything else. And that's just the nature. That's just the nature of the beast. That's just football. Mm. And it was great to see the likes of Ben Thompson, who we, we, we you know, that we nurtured along the way. And Aidan O'Brien, that when they came in as young, young rookies, that we took them under our wing. And to see them now today having careers and having those types of, those types of discussions. I remember pulling Aidan O'Brien and he was, you know, piss potting around and not looking after himself in the gym and stuff like that. Like, and he had a pair of Paddy Power um, boxers on. And uh, I said, you know, what you want to be, what you want to do? Like, he says, oh, I want to play. I'd love to play for Ireland one day and stuff like that. Like, and I used to say to him, I said, see those jocks you've got on, see those briefs? I said, Paddy Power. I said, that's what you need. You need plenty of virus, Paddy Power. I said, now get into that fucking gym and do your weights. I said, if you want to get into that place and you want to have a career, that's what you need to do. Like, so mm -hmm. it's great to see that you've, you've had an impact and an influence on those young men, no more than the great people that have an impact on, on, on my career over the years. And the, the, the beauty of that is, is, is truly amazing. And like that, Neil, as you said, Neil, Neil, Neil had a, a job to do and um, that was that.
So it must have been, you know, you had you come to Millwall, establish yourself quickly, back to back Wembley appearances, promotion, and FA Cup semi final. Now it's sort of coming towards the end of your time there, relegation, and you're not getting the team. Was that was you know was that tough to take? And when did you realise it was the right, you know, the right time to actually move on? Um, no, it was it was it was never easy to take. It was never easy to take. It was always it was always a tough one to take because I always felt I'd unfinished business at Millwall. I always felt even when I finished at Millwall, I wasn't really finished. Um, and I thought by going to Portsmouth, it was a way of right getting my confidence back. And I had an amazing year at Portsmouth. Portsmouth was, you know, it's a fantastic club, very similar to Millwall, getting 18,000 at Fratton Park every week in League Two was amazing. Um, to win the league and to go up as champions, keep twenty clean sheets, and I thought, right, I've 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 done really really well here. Mm. And I thought, right, Millwall have got to the playoffs, gone up at Wembley, and they've gone back up. And I definitely thought there would have been a different type of conversation with Neil and with the with the club in general in terms of and it was it was a tough one to take because considering I'd done nine years I'd done nine years at the club and I was running away from from spending ten years at the club and you know I definitely think I still would have had uh, an influence at, at the club. Um the one thing I would say and and the one thing I do probably and I've never really spoke about this but I'll have this chat with you now and I feel this is the actual time and the timing's actually right to have this conversation. The manner in which it was done, I I was bitterly disappointed with. I was bitterly disappointed with getting a phone call in the middle of a little car park in the middle of Beckenham Town and finally realising that I'm having a call from the manager and the chairman thanking me for my time and that was it. And I think that was really, I think one, I think it was a bit disrespectful and two, I think clubs need to do better in that situation. And they wonder why players and they wonder why the, those types of relationships get tarnished and stuff like that. Where one, and it, why I say that is because it never gave me a chance to fully, um, you know, the, 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 the sense of uh, bring closure to the, to, the, to the journey of that, to spend that amount of time, to spend that amount of blood, sweat, tears, fears, the whole lot, the whole lot encapsulated in that. And to get a phone call in that manner to draw to that clues, I thought was, I thought it was pretty poor form, to be honest. But yeah. that does not take away from the fact that I still have ultimate respect for John Burleson and Neil Harris and the club and everything else. But I do think clubs need to do better in those situations because I would have loved to have gone back to the club. I would love to have a conversation with these men. I would have loved to gone back to the club in a situation and I know the season's over or whatever, but come back and definitely brought it to a, a healthier close and a healthier yeah. position for all parties that... I leave, you know, I wish you all the best. You wish me all the best. And we can go, we can go, we can go and move on our ways. Mm. So that's, that's something that I feel that um, was something that was, um, how best to put it, you know, uh, was, was not done in, in the best taste, really, to be no. honest. Don't wait to do it over the phone after, you, after all the service you've given to the club. Yeah, totally, totally, 100%. And as I said, that's just something, and that's the nature that it's actually happened. And I just hope that, you know, if, if football clubs and, you know, that we have to start doing better. We have to start doing better with people and by people in terms of how we can um, bring closure in these types of, of relationships. Yeah, 100%, mate. You end up going to Pompey, then on to Cambridge. You only retired last year, didn't you? Only retired last year, yeah, just over a year. So, um Went to Pompey like that, had a great year, um, thoroughly enjoyed that. And I was going to retire. I was actually going to retire. Um, the thoughts were kind of crossing my mind. What a way to retire, you know, after winning mm. after winning the, the league on the last game of the season. Um, getting carried off the pitch down at Fratton Park was pretty special. Um, but unfortunately, I wasn't in that position to, to do so, you know, financially and everything else. So I thought, right, I still have to... Um, I still have to put a roof over my family's head here and stuff. I still got to crack on. Um, and plus as well, I was, I'd gone back studying as well. Um, I was studying uh, executive coaching, mentoring and personal development down at University of Portsmouth and training with the European Mentoring and Coaching Council, like kind of building, a lot of people were doing their coaching badges, but I felt that was my way forward in terms of working with people on a psychological and emotional well-being, and, yeah. um, you know, studying philosophy and psychology and, all those different 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 practices and stuff. So yeah. that's the kind of the path I started on. And then I went to I had two seasons then at Cambridge and uh, 
two great seasons at Cambridge and I, I really enjoyed my time at Cambridge and uh, a great club. Mm. It seems like it's definitely the right way forward for you. Just, just speaking to you today and that, what a deep thinker you are and the great detail. You remember everything, you know, around your career. It's definitely the right step, you know, in my opinion. Not that it counts so much, but um, just talking today, I can tell you can, you're a very, very deep thinker. Yeah, and uh, that that was it. Like you know, working, working, working on that level of personal development of, of myself, and and having that level of kind of sensitivity and looking looking at life through through a different lens. I was always, you know, I was always a as you said, a deep thinker, and always in search of truth. And for me, it was just a natural transition. And then, uh, what was it? Just just after I retired, I'd set those plans and. Now I found myself as you know as as the CEO and co-founder of Pathfinder Coaching and Development, and that has allowed me to you know to facilitate high-performance coaching and mentoring, mm. and you know specialising in that with with on a, on a personal level, on a leadership development level, and you know providing them kind of one-to-one consultations with people, those types of workshops and masterclasses, and you know bringing that that are you know available online and everything else, and it's just something that has really captured my spirit and captured everything that I'm actually about and really learned from what have I learned from my experience and how can I, how can I explore um, myself and explore that in other people and help to develop them and help to maximize their potential really. Yeah. It sounds like a very, um, very different and very interesting line of work. It's very easy to go into punditry or into coaching is it as as an ex-player, I suppose 99% of people do it, but, um, Definitely an interesting path, man. What I'll do is I'll put the, uh, the website link to your to your company in the, in the description of this video, so people can get in touch. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, and and like that, you know, like as I said, you know, and that was probably a key thing throughout this interview as well. And, and upon my reflections, as you know, throughout my career as a footballer, you know, one of the single most important things for me and the most important element, you know, to a successful team or an individual performance of spirit. And that was something that always captured me, whether it was my individual spirit or the team spirit. And building that strong spirit together is, you know, bringing that bulletproof morale to teams and yeah. being involved in teams that, you know, when that's strong, they're unstoppable. And when it's not so strong, where um, the problems that can actually cause. So that always kind of fascinated me, you know. And, you know, I was always hungry for that kind of consistent emotional state. state. And that has kind of led me to to explore all those different different elements of mentorship and psychology, and it's something that I definitely feel with with that level of experience that I've gained within those high pressure environments, um, and seeing so many different types of leadership styles, um, so much success, so much failure, so many highs and so many lows. Um, you know, I knew deep down that that interested me most. As I said, it was it was that human spirit, the human element of the game, and and, and that's what it is. It's the spirit of people and, and working with people and seeing people that they can go on and excel and like that working with young men and young professionals or whoever, whatever whatever they feel that actually is. So mm. I really appreciate you having me on today. And like that, if you can get my website up there and a few oh, different yeah, things, I'll share it around and uh, I'll put yeah. it, put it on the screen, put it in the link. And uh, if the Mill fans want a little bit more David Ford in their life, sorting them out, setting them straight, then then there you are for them. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, give it a go. I'll give them my best shot anyway. Do you know what I mean? I won't be talking. I'll try not to. Uh, I'll try not to fucking grab them, like you know. But uh, they might need a few shakings. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nothing wrong with a good old bollocking off food. I'm sure they'd love it. But um, getting back to Mill, just fine. I always finish with these questions. I know you had a long, successful career at Mill, but I always ask if you can think of one of your best memory. I'll also throw at you as well your best save. As a goalkeeper? Oh, best save, best save. Um, best save. Uh, penalty save at Leeds was pretty special. It's hard. I hate doing best things because I've got so many best things. <laughs> penalty save. I've made a couple of double saves. I made a double save against Cardiff. That was pretty special against my old club. Um, made a save, a header, a lob header from at Wigan. That was pretty special. Um, and in terms of favourite moment, um, did a, did a, the year we got promotion was was pretty special and winning player of the year was particularly special as well that really touched my heart because you know it was the fans voting players voting all that that was that was really that was a bit of a pinnacle as well like you know to receive that was and to go down in that bracket of the caliber of players that had won it was special brilliant mate and last question tonight you can go out 
for one last night out, one last great night out, probably somewhere in Beckenham, um, with uh, three-year-old teammates. Who are you taking with you, middle teammates? Jeez, that's going to be an interesting one. And why that's going to be an interesting one is I stopped drinking about seven and a half years ago. So um, the person that's, yeah, I'd probably bring myself out, my old me. <laughs> <laughs> and the people that know will know. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I'll bring myself out. <laughs> Just you, that's enough. Mate, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I've really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. No, it was class. I really enjoyed it. So Thanks so much for your time. To this, hey, I'd just like to wish the, the club, Millwall, all the best in, in the future and all the best for the rest of the season. You know, the future's bright and hopefully we can, you know, I'd love nothing more than to see Millwall in the Premier League. You know, it'd be, be amazing. It'd be amazing. And hopefully that's not too far away. That's the dream, mate. Fordy, thanks so much, mate. It's, it's been brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Just wanted to say thanks a million. And if you're interested or if anyone's interested in one-to-one mentorship, please feel free to get in touch either at David Ford on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And you can email me at david at pathfindercoaching.ie. So I really appreciate it, lads. And thanks a million. And... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 